0: Welcome to Still Pretty, a Buffy the Vampire Slayer podcast from Chipperish Media. I'm story expert who's supposed to be treading on the dark side. Thank you very much, Lonnie Diane Rich. And
1: I'm film scholar who came back wrong, Noelle LaCroix. And we're here today to talk about Smashed, the ninth episode of season six.
0: Smashed aired on November 20th, 2001. It was written by Drew Z. Greenberg and directed by Turi Meyer.
1: Still Pretty is a full spectrum rewatch podcast. What on earth does that mean? It means It's entirely possible that we will talk about any individual episode within the context of the entire run of the show. We will spoil the house down. (laughs) I love that. You know, if rats could dance, they probably wouldn't gnaw so much. All right, let's go on patrol. In Smashed, Buffy comes upon a regular everyday mugging and goes about taking on the muggers. When Spike rushes into her defense, goes after the human muggers and gets a splitting headache. He complains about the migraine and asks Buffy for, I guess we could call it comfort? And Buffy leaves saying she will never kiss him again. He proceeds to shout misogynistic, invective at her and you know what, fair enough, he's fucking evil. Alone in Buffy's house, Willow pulls Amy the Rat out of her cage and suddenly has an idea. She calls for a magical sheet of vellum and reads the spell on it. Amy the Rat becomes Amy the person and experiences a mild disorientation.
0: Hey, remember the trio? Yeah, they're back. They break into a museum and steal a giant diamond while bickering about who gets to use the blowtorch. The security guard confronts them and they freeze him with their freeze ray. At the house, Amy is trying to process what she's missed, thinking it's about time for prom and hoping Larry will ask her. Willow tries to break the news gently. Amy, three things we have to talk about. One, Larry's gay. Two, Larry's
1: dead. And three, high school's kinda over. Buffy comes home and tries to talk to Willow about what's been happening with Spike. But then Amy comes out of the bathroom and we get one of the buffiest interactions ever. "Have you been Rat. You dead?" Oh. Amy goes for some cookies, not cheese, and Willow asks Buffy what she was going to say and Buffy leaves to go talk to Amy who tells her about the frozen security guard. Buffy goes to check it out and Spike's already there investigating or waiting for her to investigate so he can see her. Potato post-stocking. He tries to talk to her about the kisses and she says he's making too big a deal of it. He says a man can change and she says he's not a man, he's a thing. She tries to walk away, he tries to stop her and she hits him. He hits her back, but there's no resulting migraine. So he pretends there is and immediately goes out to feed, psyching himself up for the kill. But then... Ah!
0: Dawn and Tara go out for a movie and a milkshake and Tara has the divorced dad talk.
1: You know that I will always be there for you, right?
0: Dawn tells Tara that Willow's been better about stuff, which either means she doesn't know about Amy or she's lying. But she's a kid who wants her family back together, so either way, no shade on Dawn. The Scoobies have research night at the magic box, and Willow uses magic to hack into files and find out about the frozen security guard. Anya calls out how uncomfortable Willow's use of magic is, considering everything that happened with Tara, and Willow rationalizes. Spike goes to the trio to get Warren to look at his chip. Warren agrees and tells him his chip is fine. Spike tells him not to tell anyone and stalks out of the lair. Nothing wrong with me something
1: wrong with her. Willow goes home and finds Amy who wants to go out instead of going to see her father. Tara and Dawn come home to an empty house and Don manipulates Tara into staying and watching TV with her until Willow gets back. Tara agrees. Meanwhile, Amy and Willow go to the bronze and use magic to play pool and put shitty boys in go-go dancing cages. At the magic box, Xander, Anya, and Buffy talk about Willow and the magic, and Buffy over-identifies with the idea that Willow's giving in to the seduction of being bad. She leaves, and while walking home, Spike shows up in an alley. He taunts her, and she hits him, and then he hits her back, but it doesn't hurt. How?
0: (sighs) Don't you get it? Don't you see? You came back wrong. Spike and Buffy fight. She thinks his chip is malfunctioning, but he says no. She came back a little less human than she was. They fight, crashing through the door of an abandoned townhouse. At the bronze, Amy and Willow have fun with their magic, changing the band, bringing in goats, having a grand old time. When they get bored, they change everything back to how it was. Willow wants more, and Amy clearly has some ideas. Back in the townhouse, Buffy and Spike fight and taunt each other, until finally, Buffy kisses Spike. Wrapped around each other, they smash into walls, cracking the house. They have sex and fall through the floor into the basement. And credits. All right, Noel. So before we get into our usual, my usual shtick of being like, hey, what'd you think about this episode? I got to say that this is not a complete narrative. Um, I know this. I know that Smashed and Wrecked are one narrative between the two of them, that it is a two-parter. Uh, yet I didn't put it in the calendar that we would do both of them at the same time because I just wasn't thinking about it. So <laughs> we're going to split it up into two discussions, but this is not a complete narrative. This episode exists in the context also of Wrecked, which we will come back to next week. Um, but I just wanted to kind throw that out there so Noel, what did you think about the first half of this story called "Snatched"? i appreciate this
1: episode for a number of things mm-hmm. it does i yes. was also very surprised that we were here already like what <laughs> like this <laughs> right? happens this happened the the, the uh-huh. stuff that happens in this episode happens in this episode like I'll, i don't know i don't know where i thought we right? were in yes. the series Like,
0: I know what the hell. No, I thought there was more too before. Yeah, yeah, but it's just once more with feeling tabula rasa. And next thing you know, they're fucking the house down. So, yeah, (laughs) yeah, because I mean, I mean, and fair enough, Mm -hmm. right? You know, when you're so lonely
1: and traumatized, you have to fuck a house down about it. I mean, relatable, Uh, yeah, relatable, (laughs) yeah, honestly. Um, yeah, I mean, do we want to do we want to jump right in to? Buffy and Spike. Oh,
0: yeah. Mean, okay, look, let's not pretend that with everything else that this episode does, and there are some really interesting things that this episode did, let's not pretend that the defining characteristic of this episode is not fucking the house down. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Literally.
1: So let's have that discussion. Literally. <laughs> Literally. Yeah. Yes. So, I mean,. Here we go. Right. Like Buffy. Yeah, let's do it. Buffy drives this whole sexual relationship with Spike. She Mm -hmm. she initiates everything. And I like that he calls her on it. We'll get into that a little bit when we get to talking about Spike and some of the language that he uses. But I'm kind of I'm kind of into Spike's. I don't know, the the way that he talks to Buffy about how she approaches mm-hmm. this. But what I find most yeah. interesting about the Buffy-Spike sexual dynamic at this point mm-hmm. is that Buffy seems to be struggling with some shame about the kind of sex she wants to be having.
0: Because mm-hmm. it's really, Definitely. it's really
1: easy to say, like, Spike doesn't have a soul, Spike's not a person, he's a thing, I won't go there. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. But when Buffy lays into Spike about being in love with pain and tells him he's screwed up for enjoying getting beat down, I think she's doing some serious projecting. Um,
0: Yeah. I mean, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. And
1: I'm going to pause here because this is a slippery slope I'm treading on. There's a lot of Mm -hmm. no meaning yes type dynamics in the Spike-Buffy relationship. There's also a lot of Spike telling Buffy the truth about herself e.g. I know what kind of girl you really are stuff Mm -hmm. and that comes with a lot of like patriarchal gendered baggage men
0: telling women who they are has a long and storied history of evil within like the world you know um men defining the narrative i mean part of abuse is is that the person who's hurting you is defining the narrative about how they're hurting you so that it looks like that's not what that is you know yeah and we have a lot of that in, in various, you know, power systems throughout, like, our culture. Um, that said, I think that in the particular of Buffy and Spike, there is something really interesting in the fact that she does initiate everything. She kisses him and Once More with Feeling. We see them in the midst of kissing in, um, in Tabula Rasa, but my presumption is she kisses him. She's the one who hits him first. Yeah. Right. You know, so like like she I mean, I really don't want to take this whole dynamic down to she started it because that's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is that she is definitely an active participant in everything that's going on with her and Spike. And even though she says she doesn't want it, she she wants to not want it. But exactly. in moments of passion, she literally cannot help herself, which is different, I think, from no meaning yes, which is a game, well, you know, and a game that 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 some, yeah, some forces within our culture ha- like to say that you know her her lips say no no no, but her eyes say yes 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 to justify sexual assault. That is not what's going on here.
1: Yeah, and there's a lot. I mean, mm-hmm. we'll get into it more. I think with wrecked and as we move forward mm-hmm. um, yeah. but the whole like Buffy says no not because she doesn't want it but because she doesn't want to want it again yes. really mm-hmm. slippery slope if someone says no It means no,
0: right? It doesn't matter why they say no. It doesn't matter why they say no. It doesn't matter even if they do really mean yes. If somebody says no, they are responsible for that no. And then anybody who hears that no has to take it at um, face value unless there is a previous agreement and there is a safe word of some sort. Like if this is a scenario in which people are having sexy fun and they have agreed to it ahead of time, that is different. That is completely different. Uh, But we are talking about... Uh A literal, a literal expressed no. It doesn't matter what the reason is for why that person is saying no. If they have said no, that's all that matters. It's a no. Yeah.
1: So Mm -hmm. all of that, like all of that preamble to say, like, I'm talking about this, my, my projection of Buffy in this relationship dynamic Mm -hmm. and just how Mm -hmm. interesting it is to me that she seems to, based on how she initiates things with Spike repeatedly, seems to want something that she doesn't want to want. Um, Yes. And I just, like, I don't know. It feels relevant to mention the detail that Buffy has had a lot of sex with Riley. (laughs) And it was never as fiery or as interesting as what happens in Smashed. Like, ever. She just never, because she just never seemed Mm -hmm. that into it. She wasn't. Nobody was into it.
0: It was Riley. Well,
1: (laughs) but here's the thing on paper, Uh Riley was perfect for Buffy. So much so that we had to have a Xander ex machina to tell her so, right. so that she could go, oh, I guess you're right. He is the perfect guy. And then chase down a helicopter about it. Right. But Riley right. was only perfect in so much as he fit into Buffy's false narrative for herself about what it means yeah. to be a quote unquote normal girl.
0: He was a means for her to access her um, kind of narrativized identity. Yeah. Yeah, You know, so he was just he was just an access point for her. I mean, like, let's not, you know, Riley was Riley. And, I, you know, he he riled the place up, definitely. <laughs> but Buffy also, like, has Buffy has culpability, you know, um, in everything that happened with Riley because she was using him to access a narrative about her own identity that she desperately wanted. Oh, for sure. But which was not real. For sure. Yeah.
1: Because, mm-hmm. I mean, a hunky... Mm-hmm vanilla soldier guy might have been a great match for like the regular girl version of Buffy and that regular girl version Mm -hmm. of herself that she keeps trying to access and like hang on to and has been since oh I don't know the pilot. Um, But there was no fire in that relationship. Mm -hmm. I mean as exemplified by the fact that when Riley was trying to rock her world in bed she just ended up relaxed. (laughs) And (laughs) that i mean (laughs) and relaxation like in bed Mm -hmm. is great but it sucked for everyone because buffy wasn't getting her world sufficiently rocked and riley ended up venturing into the world of vampirism as sex work which sucks
0: work it sucks work isn't it (laughs) god damn it (laughs) oh how did you miss the dad joke oh Oh, is it a dad joke if it's also a sex joke maybe it's not i don't
1: know maybe Hmm. i mean
0: I don't know. We're going to need an expert on dad jokes to come in and make a one. But anyway. <laughs> anyway. It's a noel joke. Anyway. Oh my god.
1: So, back to Buffy and Spike and fucking the house down, right? Yeah. Buffy mm-hmm. has explained to Spike that when she kissed him, she was thinking about Giles in a line that goes both ways for me in that it is hilarious, but also <laughs> Buffy wouldn't phrase it like that, especially around Spike. Um, but she yeah. says he yeah. left. Mm-hmm. I was depressed, ergo vulnerability and bad kissing decisions. She's labeling mm-hmm. everything about this relationship, quote unquote relationship, right, with Spike as bad right. because it doesn't mm-hmm. fit her narrativized ideal version of herself. Yep. So Buffy scolding slash mocking Spike for being in love with pain feels a lot like Buffy talking to herself. Um hmm. Yeah. And this scene of them fighting and insulting each other and then having sex mm-hmm. used to bother me because it goes directly from mm-hmm. face punching to P and V building demolition. But I'm what? super here for it now, and here's why. Impact play is a thing.
0: Ooh, elaborate. So
1: okay, so <laughs> under the under the very generous BDSM umbrella. Uh repeated striking by or of another person consensually can be a lot Uh of fun for everyone involved
0: Uh and they look like they're having a lot of fun like they're and here's the thing consenting adults where no one's actually getting hurt absolutely yeah go for it
1: (laughs) yeah so it's i mean yeah i think that a lot of this struggle for buffy With her attraction to Spike, her desire to have Mm -hmm. a physical relationship with Spike, has more, you know, certainly as much, if not more, to do with Mm -hmm. her own sense of shame about being into kinky sex than it does her, like, misgivings about him being evil or a vampire or whatever, you know, whatever it is that she... Labels yeah. him that week, whatever monster of the week There's she wants to make him. Yeah. So that
0: yeah. she
1: has somewhere to put her own shame at wanting sex that doesn't fit into the quote unquote normal girl
0: narrative that she's constructed quote unquote good girl yeah i mean it's not just normal girl but it's like the good girl narrative of what sex should be and how you should enjoy it riley was good girl narrative and she yawned through most of it as did we Um, (laughs) but you know let's face it like the the relationship between sex and violence throughout i mean come on let's face it vampires are like i mean outside of buffy vampires existed to be plucked from the culture for Buffy as seductive monsters. Oh, yeah. You know, like... Vampires are sexy. The neck, everything. Yeah, it's all sex. Vampires are all forbidden sex. And the association of sex with violence, which, by the way, if you go back to season three, you know, it always makes you hungry and horny. Well, sometimes I crave a low-fat yogurt afterward, right? Yeah. That was Buffy again. I mean, honestly... Buffy Throughout Buffy is about Buffy's duality of identity and trying and struggling with that duality of identity between wanting to be a normal girl and yet not being a normal girl. And we have the whole identity discussion in life serial. You're not a shop girl, you're not a school girl, mm-hmm. you're a creature of the darkness which of course is Spike's narrativization because he likes the darkness because that means she's with him, mm-hmm. you know. Um but Buffy struggling with that duality of her identity, what she wants versus what she wants to want. Yeah. You know, um, I think is really interesting. And the fact that she's attracted to Spike, I mean, well, hello, please. Of (laughs) course it's Spike. It's Spike. Everybody's attracted to Spike, Um, you know? And so like that is only human, not to mention that there is that relationship between sex and violence, um, which has already been textually brought into you know, um, into the stories, into Buffy itself. You know, we've already had that connection. Um, And so here she is now returned from the dead after having finished what it was that she was there to do, now somehow thrown back into it. And the only thing she wants is Spike, and she doesn't want to because that's not who she used to be. But she is Buffy post trauma like post death right if you think about death as a metaphor like when the death card comes up in the tarot right death card comes up in a tarot does not mean that you're going to drop dead mm-hmm. literally it means that the person that you were is not going to exist anymore and then the person that you become is is where you're going to be is who you're going to be and that's going to be different right. Um, and so going through these phases of of growth you know we have Buffy experiencing what in the text is a literal death but what functions within the story world as a metaphorical death she has transitioned but she's not ready to accept who she is now and release who she was then and releasing who she was then means releasing all of these ideas about what it is to be quote-unquote normal or you know even more destructive especially for women quote unquote good yeah right you know virgin whore all of that kind of bullshit for sure
1: and it's not a coincidence that this takes place in a domestic set like it's an abandoned yeah House, but it is—I don't know—it's clearly right. to my eye a living space. It's not a business. Yeah. It's not a warehouse. No. This is a house. That's a home. This is a home, and there's
0: a real reason why it's a home. Mm-hmm. You know, well, her home life um, is her yeah. home
1: life is collapsing. Like her understanding yeah. of how things are at home. And her
0: place, yeah, her yeah. place in the world yep. is collapsing around yep. her. So, yeah. That makes complete and perfect sense. Yeah. Um, but you know, to your point, uh, they look like they're having fun. Hell yeah. They really Hell do. Hell yeah, they're having a good time. I mean, this is the hottest moment in all of Buffy. You know, I mean, oh, let's let's not. Yeah. For Buffy,
1: yes. I mean <laughs> for Buffy. For Buffy, yeah, yes. Yeah. This is this mm-hmm. is the hottest, I think, that we yes. will get mm-hmm. for for my mm-hmm. um for for my taste, <laughs> this is the hottest Buffy. I don't know that it is the yes. hottest interaction. I will. Mm-hmm. I, no. I feel a, I feel a numbered
0: list coming on somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I want that list. Yeah, there's a lot of. No, there are a lot of very, very like intense moments in Buffy. But this is the most, I think, overtly um sexual the yes. you know like because the thing is like with angel when she had sex with angel that was very much the montage of sheets and oh look her hand mm. is on his back and um you know and like everything is still very like pg and it's not sex it's making love you know like that kind of thing very romantic soft candlelight yeah cello
1: music in the background and here's the thing here's the thing about Mm -hmm. spike i think that if buffy wanted candlelight and you know soft focus and cello music like i think he Mm -hmm. would do that because I think what yeah. Spike wants is to be with her and what yeah. she he wants to give her what she wants. So if she wanted that, yes. you know, if she wanted like romantic vanilla sex, I think he would be into that. I think. he And would I totally think that's that. why for me. The the Mm -hmm. Spike telling her who who she is stuff doesn't Mm -hmm. raise as many red flags as it might otherwise.
0: Well, yeah. And also because we have a long history of Spike being like a seer. Yeah. You know that like he sees beyond the surface level of things, which is why he's so good at being able to manipulate people, as we see with the Boba Fett you know hijack situation um later (laughs) oh dear god yeah (laughs) (laughs) oh god we'll talk about that when we get there because it involves the trio and and i still want to talk about spike because yum um but here's the thing with spike though like i realize as i'm watching season six that um that the spike that i love like the the political capital that spike has built up with me over the seasons prior uh pays off a lot because the shit that he does in this episode pisses me off like it's (laughs) awful and he's evil and he's supposed to be evil and okay fine but like this whole thing when he says you're a tease and I'm like oh my god the patriarchy just drips from that fucking phrase you know I'm like tease friend zone frigid blue balls slut shaming cat calling you're so pretty when you smile just the tip baby bitch whore virtue purity culture nobody asked you Ellen it's only a matter of time before you realize I'm the only one here for you pet you've got no one else right all of that is patriarchal narrativizing of female experience and i'm fucking had enough of it and to have that come from spike drives me crazy and the thing is spike's been fucking evil the whole time i know this but season six spike i think is the lowest form of Spike in the run of the show. And he makes it by kind of coasting on the fumes of the previous versions of Spike that I have fallen madly in love with. And the bullshit you take from somebody you love mm-hmm. <laughs> is crazy. Because I would not put up with that shit from anybody else. And it's only this time, like after, I've, I don't even want to tell you how many times I've seen this episode. Let's just say, A lot. (laughs) This is the only time that I've been present enough to be like, fuck you, dude. Right. You know, because it's Spike and because I love him. And, you know, I find it. I find it a little bit, you know, disturbing that that's my response that it took me that long to be like, Oh, fuck you, dude. You know? Um, But I also love that Spike, like, again, he has that seeing quality and, you know, in the scene where he's using Boba Fett, like he can't hurt the trio because the trio is human. So he goes for the Boba Fett. He knows exactly what button to push all the time. So I like the fact that Spike has that ability to see, but what I find really funny though, is that here we are, you know, in this, scene with the trio and here is warren able to build a, a sex bot that passes mostly the turing test right you know um and that that the idea that he can check spike's chip but he can't remove spike's chip and that spike is not trying to get it removed Oh yeah i find really interesting i think that spike doesn't want it out I mean, he struggles to attack that woman in the alley, even as he realizes that, you know, this is like his nature. This is what he is. He's a vampire. He has to talk himself through it. And that speech (laughs) in the alley... Shows that even when he believes because he's been able to hit Buffy and Buffy and it didn't hurt. So he thinks that his chip is malfunctioning. He thinks that he can hurt people again. Yeah. You know, so this is before he goes to, you know, before he goes to see the trio and finds out that it is actually functioning and the difference isn't with him. His his moment where the first thing he does is like, I'm gonna go kill somebody. I'm gonna go kill somebody. And part of him does not want to part of him resist that. Um, and I find that such an interesting moment in his character, because why should he resist it? Like, there's no reason. He has no soul. Yeah. Why should he resist it? Is, it? is that Buffy wouldn't like it? You know, is that it? Or is it that part of him has begun to identify as one of the good guys?
1: I mean, it's a great scene. I love I love that whole scene of him yeah. like mm-hmm. trying to fluff himself up so he can do this thing yeah. that he like really identifies with doing and wanting to do um mm-hmm. but again like can't quite bring himself. I don't know.
0: It's it's a f- interesting struggle and I don't think that we have any actual textual answer for why that's because it could just be that he knows Buffy would hate it that he knows that if he kills this girl he's crossing a line he'll never be able to get Buffy back you know like I mean it may be just simply about his his ability to possess Buffy but I don't think that it is
1: yeah I don't I don't know I love I just love him trying to talk himself into it because yeah, it does so speak great. to these layers of spike where he wants mm-hmm. to he wants to be a bad guy but he wants to be a good guy and those things yeah. can't coexist
0: mm-hmm. at least in the way that yeah. he has like built them up and and why does he want to be good like really why does he want to be That's good a great question it's a pain in the ass being evil if you can be evil And you have no conscience and you have no soul and you have no regret and you have no feeling and empathy about it. Like being evil is so much easier than being good, you know? Um, So why, why is he choosing good here? And I mean, I think the simple answer is because he knows Buffy would never forgive him if he murdered somebody and all of that. But I think there's more than that. I think it has to do with identity and with that he truly kind of does. Want to be good. I mean, look in Tabula Rasa, how quick he was to, I must be a noble vampire, a vampire with a soul. I fight the good fight, you know, like his instant, uh, the way that he went instantly was narrativizing his experience as a good vampire, as a vampire that is struggling to be good and to struggle to be good with a soul, you know, is one thing, but without a soul, I think is a, is a different thing. And of course we know that a soul is not the arbiter of goodness. We have the trio in this episode. I mean, we yeah. have textual evidence right here for Ugh. that. Um, no. <laughs> but it is, it is something. Yeah. It is an access to to real empathy as opposed to cognitive empathy. It is an access to conscience. Yeah. Um, and, and so, like, whether or not you take that access is another thing, you know, when you have the soul. Um, I, I find it an interesting struggle for him. And I don't feel like I have, like, an actual answer for that yeah
1: i mean i think in this episode it's it reads to me like spike cl- i mean he's clearly working through his feelings about his mm-hmm. relationship with buffy right because yeah like usually i would take serious umbrage with a man adjacent person calling a woman a tease but uh, here's yeah. the thing mm-hmm. like he's Very clunkily addressing the thing that drives me so crazy in their dynamic, which is that Buffy is driving, but there's been no conversation about rest stops, playlists, road snacks, none of it. And of course, she doesn't have Mm -hmm. a map because she's working out the relationship in real time and also not wanting to be in it. So she's driving Mm -hmm. a car that she doesn't want to be operating and now i need another metaphor to like throw into the mix here but so he's like yeah he's using this word he uses this word that's like really terrible and loaded but also it is incredibly
0: loaded it's, yes
1: i mean it's it's very spike like but mm-hmm. in using like in using that word he is bringing up this thing that we've seen repeated over the last couple of episodes and you know through buffy's entire relationship with riley which is she doesn't want to talk about it like it doesn't matter what it is she's like her communication doesn't want to talk about it doesn't want to talk about it um and so i don't know i i like i like the detail that the woman he chooses when he thinks that he's going to be able to feed kind of looks like buffy a little bit yeah he's like Mm -hmm. clearly he is clearly working something out right because it's not just that he's fluffing himself up he's also like she thinks i'm housebroken. she doesn't think i'm dangerous like
0: exactly he wants
1: her to think he's dangerous
0: like that is Mm -hmm. part
1: of the identity for him as well like it's such Mm -hmm. a and it's such a great contrast right because i think deep down he wants to be good because that is his nature, as a very good dog. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, but he—I don't know. I don't know. It's like the there's a there's a power thing. There's a there's yeah. something there. There's something there. I mean, Spike's whole position on what he quote unquote should be able to do is just fascinating to mm-hmm. me. Um, you yeah. know, and that. That opening scene he says he should at least be able to attack criminals and right. i mean i appreciate buffy coming down on the side of even humans who do harmful harmful things are still humans um right like i love that kind right. of soft on crime approach um <sighs> you know in fiction and in the real world it's that
0: soft on crime you hold people accountable for what they do but you recognize that they are still fucking people and you treat them with respect and with compassion sure. because of that. I'm sorry. That no, is no, no. just my I say minor political rant. Anyway, <gasps> yes. I say
1: soft on crime <laughs> is like
0: delightful shorthand. But yes, I
1: mean, yes, and exactly. Also, mm-hmm. And also Buffy, yeah. you know, if if I'm going to extend this to Buffy is all, you know, bunched up about what she does and doesn't mm-hmm. want, like feeling like what she wants sexually, because that's the only way that she Mm -hmm. feels she can access any of this fire that she's missing. Um, You know, feeling like feeling like what she wants is bad and wrong. Right. You know, Mm -hmm. this kind of like, people who do bad things are still people. Mm -hmm. I mean, yes, absolutely true. And again, talking to herself about making what yeah. she has deemed to be bad decisions i don't know it's a very mm-hmm. it's a rich text it's a very very it is layered a rich
0: text it's a... it is it's so interesting and i like the fact that there is some ambiguity there that we're not really sure like there's a number of ways to read this text with which the text is not you know um, have conflict you know like you can read it in a number of ways and see it um, which I really kind of love because I'm not really sure that there is a, a there is one answer To all of these things, you know, I think that there's there's multiple answers that, you know, Buffy is talking to herself, but she's also, you know, talking generally about, you know, general things and and what is badness and what is, you know, what is goodness for Spike and what is badness for Buffy and they're both struggling to kind of move in the other direction. Um, even though they really want. They're both struggling to move in one direction when they both want to move in the other direction, you know? Yeah. Um, and I, I love that. I love that internal struggle. And the way that it, like, again, you know, me and my identity stories, I fucking love identity stories, you know, and these are huge identity stories for both Spike and Buffy.
1: Yeah, and then while Buffy and Spike are going through it, we get this interesting almost parallel with Willow and Amy, uh huh, and mm-hmm. I mean, so again, I'm not sure how much time has passed. Yeah, and that only kind of, sort of matters because when we get into like, obviously, obviously, Willow is clearly still using a lot of magic, and yeah, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. her friends are noticing. Um, yes, mm-hmm. and of course, this is the episode where we get Amy back from, from rat Amy. Mm -hmm. But before that, before Willow de-rats Amy, Mm -hmm. she's talking to rat Amy. (laughs) (laughs) And it's an interesting, it's an interesting um, uh, monologue. I was going to say conversation, Mm -hmm. but it's not a conversation. It's an interesting monologue Um, Because there's no reason for Willow to lie here while she's mm-hmm. holding this rat. But her description of the breakup is that Tara left for no good reason. And mm-hmm. oh, God, it's so hard to hear. Yeah. That's so yeah. the trappings of the most baked in, baked in denial. Yeah. But because I love mm-hmm. Willow. It feels gut wrenching and tragic, not red flaggy and abusive.
0: Right. Uh, that political capital that people have built up, Willow and Spike are kind of reprehensible throughout a lot of season six. And yet, previous love. Well, <laughs> you know.
1: And it also makes me wonder whether I'll like Willow less if I loop back around and watch the whole series again when we're done here. Because mm-hmm. this is a rewatch for me, but it's been a while. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I wonder about like the immediacy of here's this here's this behavior that is really reprehensible and then just like rocketing back to the beginning of the series and. That going, you know,
0: getting that Willow. Although by the time you rock it back to the beginning of the series, you've been through season seven Willow. Yeah, that's true. And season seven Willow is a Willow that is living through consequence. True. You know, Um, so we do see Willow like, you know, it's not that Willow can't ever be bad. You know, because clearly she is being really super terrible throughout this whole thing. Um, You know, from the moment she, uh, you know, made Tara forget a fight, Mm -hmm. like through uh, season six, she's uh, she's got real, real issues and real problems with her behavior. Um, And her choices are, you know, I mean, like really, really bad. And she completely fails to see like the moral is the moral issues that are that are at play here you know um but we also see her go through all the consequence of that and to me that's the difference between like a character that is i think that somebody's forgivable when they look at their actions they try to make it right and they try to not do that again You know, and they struggle with the consequence of what they've done. Then I think that there's, you know, that that's all forgivable and then you can let it go. And then by the time we get to the end of season seven with Willow, she's already back in my good graces. You know, I mean, like, yes,
1: I forgive you. Willow. (laughs) Well, like, and that's I mean, and that is the thing, right? Like, I love Mm -hmm. Willow. I love I love to see her anytime she's in a scene. I'm just like here Mm -hmm. for
0: it she's incredibly lovable
1: but it is fascinating to me how much Mm -hmm. that like built up shield of my loving this character like cuts me off from things like yep i mean just the way that willow uses magic to shape the world to her liking is so reminiscent of jonathan magically making Uh himself powerful and beloved and yeah, it's like like it's not that different, and yet I have this yeah. like these these like character appreciation goggles on. <laughs> and
0: it's uh, yes, that's me and Spike. I look at Spike and I think I love him, and then I see him behaving terribly, and I'm like, oh, you know. And I mean the same thing with Willow. There's like the love goggles are on, you know. Um, but yeah, I mean it's not the first time we've compared Willow to Jonathan and Superstar, you know. Um, and it's not a flattering comparison. So it's real bad. But it's also, it's interesting to me just
1: how much that, like, bad behavior, mm-hmm. like, I don't know, there's, there's something about it that even when I'm like,
0: oh, this is not good, I, like, still kind of love to see it. <laughs> like, I'm still, like... Yeah. No, when there's somebody you love doing things, even if those are bad things, like, you still love them. Yeah. You know? And that that makes us sometimes not see some things, you yeah. know? And, um, yeah, it's... it's Love is a powerful blinder in a lot of circumstances. Yeah. Up know? to
1: and including fictional characters. Very interesting. Uh, yeah, uh, maybe especially yeah. including fictional characters. I don't know. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, which brings me to this, like, you know, Willow's. You know, we've we've heard about her overuse of magic, right? Like, you're using too much magic. Yes. But one thing that Tara says that doesn't really get the kind of weight put on it that mm-hmm. you know maybe it would in a different story is Willow using magic incorrectly. Like yes. Tara says, that's mm-hmm. not what magic is for, which is a fascinating right. like philosophy yeah. that is you know over mm-hmm. here adjacent to the narrative somewhere. But I yes. feel like not derating Amy earlier is one of the best examples of Willow using magic quote unquote incorrectly. Right. I mean, because mm-hmm. here's the thing: like violating Tara's mind is just ghastly. Like we've talked about this. We've yes. talked about yeah, it's horrible. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. that is something you absolutely should not do. But we're mm-hmm. repeatedly told that Willow doesn't turn Amy back because she can't. Yes. And I'm sorry, what? Willow can't yeah. bring Amy back from Rat Hood, but she can move Glory, a literal <sighs> yeah. god, through space? Mm-hmm. If you're going to ask me to buy that, you have to explain it a little bit. And yeah. I don't know. I mean, <laughs> this is one of the things I bounce off really hard because I mean, mm-hmm. it could be that this is like a it's hard to undo someone's like it's hard to undo a spell that someone else did kind of thing. Right. I could see that. Mm-hmm. Like if Willow used the wrong combination of words or ingredients, could she make Amy more a rat? <laughs> <laughs> Has she been trying? Maybe she's been trying yeah. and it's just not working. Like if you try to thicken a stew with flour when you started it with a roux, because <laughs> right. apparently that doesn't work. My uh-huh. my oldest okay. is taking culinary arts this quarter, which means I I'm taking it. culinary arts this quarter.
0: <laughs> Welcome to pandemic <laughs> yep. homeschooling. Yep. Yes.
1: <laughs> and I mean, and I think, Lonnie, you suggested that Willow just doesn't care about Rat Amy while Tara mm-hmm. is around, yeah. and yeah, I mean, yeah, this yeah. this episode feels like good support for that,
0: right? I think so. I think so, and I think that. Um, I mean, I think that Willow, at the time that Amy ratted. Willow did not have the skill to bring Amy back, and I would say probably because Amy because it's very hard to undo somebody else's spell, and also that when you're still a novice, you know, and you're trying to do something at that level, like she could do something terrible to to amy and i'm sure she was probably just being careful you know and just didn't want to take too much of a risk with somebody else's actual lived existence you know um but then i think at a certain point she just stopped thinking about it like she was just thinking about other things and and more interested in um in other ways of um you know of of experiencing magic and doing magic and also Willow, her solipsism here is uh, is showing a little bit because um, she I just suddenly realized I could. Yeah. Well, if you suddenly realized you could, you could for a long time. You just didn't want to. Yeah. Until now. Because it was no because benefit. Because you needed a buddy. There was no yeah. benefit to Willow. Or, you know.
1: There was no benefit to yeah. Willow in bringing Amy back. From right. I mean, she literally says mm-hmm. it's nice to have another magically inclined friend around. And this is only after yep. Tara has left. And on the one yes. hand, it's like, okay, that's very sweet. Like, of course, having someone around who like gets it and yep. shares your interests is important. And on the other hand, oh, sweetie, no, 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 no. Mm-hmm. Like, we've already seeded Willow's magic use as a maladaptive coping strategy for something. Is that ever really addressed? Mm-hmm. But more importantly, Tara recently called Willow out for magically arranging things and people to her liking, which is exactly what Willow does with Amy. Yeah. And also, I can't believe I haven't addressed this before, but I love the foreshadowing of Dark Willow that we get in the opening credits for season six because <laughs> we get that clip yeah we get that clip of willow yeah? storming lori's castle with her all black eyes and flying knives and without context i would absolutely guess that a character who looked like that was a villain
0: oh sure so yeah like,
1: we're very much we are very much on the like dark willow trajectory mm-hmm. here yeah um and it's it's rough But it's also so Mm -hmm. fun to see Willow and Amy. See, I'm so bunched up about it. It's like, I love. Yeah. I love and I love them together. I love how fast Mm -hmm. Amy and Willow's night out goes from magical pool playing, which is like, come on, man, just one drink to Amy using magic on the woman at the bar, which is a -hmm. lot. um, Yeah. To fucking with every aspect of the bronze, not just the sexist and homophobic dudes, but like everybody yeah like that that escalated very
0: quickly um it did yeah it's yeah
1: yeah, it's just it's a lot it's a lot Mm -hmm. um i don't know i mean we'll get we'll get more of it we'll get more of it next time but Oh, boy.
0: Yeah, we're definitely going to have a lot more discussion with Amy. The thing that I find really interesting about Amy is that um, she is very much like as a character, not a character, you know, like she is Mm -hmm. there as a method for like we in the text, the text actually uses her you know as something that is about willow like amy is there to be about willow um and she's kind of funny and she's kind of a joke she also comes back from three years as a rat with perfect hair and makeup which <laughs> drives me the fuck crazy because women are not allowed to look like women like they always have to be completely made up which drives me i just watched this uh there's a german show on netflix called dark um and i watched that recently and was amazed that the women just were allowed to look like people oh, they didn't yeah. have a lot of makeup on the women women who were active and respected characters within the story um, had wrinkles um, had gray hair whoa um, you know <laughs> di- didn't wear makeup their nails were short and bedraggled. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was just allowed, and I was like, holy shit. I didn't even realize all of this, you know? Um, the ways in which women are allowed to exist within certain stories, within certain representations, and especially within American storytelling, American visual storytelling, um, versus other countries. I highly recommend that everybody watch Dark. Um, it's really tough. It's tough. It's tough. Let me tell you, it is tough and you know there are warnings I give you all the warnings (laughs) if you're at all sensitive I'm very very sensitive to to certain particular things and it's it hit a lot of my sensitivity points but it was also really really interesting so I I stuck with it um but um but the thing is that the way women are presented in um you know in Everything that we consume in American culture is that it is not acceptable for a woman to look like she's just been a rat for three years. <laughs> you know, like she does not she right. is not allowed to have that. And um, I have a similar rant if you listen to the Listen Up A-holes episode in which we discussed Ant-Man. Um, and you know, spoilers, minor spoilers, but Michelle Pfeiffer is in a quantum realm for 30 years and yet somehow there's a Sephora there. <laughs> Uh, because when they finally find her after 30 years in a quantum fucking realm, she has perfect hair and makeup. Oh, fuck off. Also, not to mention 30 years of complete social isolation and she's fine. You'll hear that rant over and listen up, A-holes. You can go ahead and do that. But this is the kind of thing, like the presentation of of women that drives me crazy. And, um, you know, my first response when I had this thought, you know, because my first thought was like, oh, right, she's got hair and makeup, please. You know, Um, which makes me my first thought is like that's not an interesting criticism right because there's this whole idea about it's not realistic and when you're talking about a fantasy show with demons and vampires and everything the idea of requiring realistic from that I think is a little bit wrong it needs to be believable does not need to be realistic those are two completely different things um so I have this concept that I've been talking about for years which is basically that fiction is not answerable to reality um and I, I have also used that in a very specific uh sense of of uh, reality is no defense for fiction. So that if you're writing something, as you know, I've had writers say to me, "But that's the way it really happened." And I'm like, "Doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not. It's not believable. It's not emotionally believable because it needs to be emotionally anchored. Fiction exists to deliver an emotional experience. And when you're working in the emotion, you're working on a different level than actual lived reality. Um, and there are some instances in which you know, fiction is not delivering an emotional experience, like your hardcore mystery or sci-fi, where it's just purely an intellectual experience, either you're undoing a puzzle, you're figuring out a puzzle, or, you know, in the other case, you're, you're talking about some like deep philosophical what if questions, which is what sci fi does best. But we still find that most of those stories, especially now, um, also involve an emotional arc, because that is really kind of what we go to our fiction for is to have these emotional experiences. And because of that, fiction needs to be emotionally believable, and we are not telling Amy's story here, so we can just make her pop out of living as a rat and immediately go to work as an antagonist for Willow without addressing the idea that someone who had been kept in a cage for three years would be deeply affected and traumatized by that experience. Amy shows up in the story fully formed, and that's okay. Mm -hmm. You know, like, I, I don't appreciate the fact that, like, all women have to have perfect hair and perfect makeup all the time because the message that that sends to us as women is that those are the only way in which we are going to be seen, you know, and that if you have a wrinkle, if you don't have makeup on, if you're not, you know, like perfectly formed, if you don't have the perfect body, the perfect hair, blah, 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 that you are essentially invisible and therefore don't matter, Um, which is exactly what women are made to feel in our culture. You know, uh, pick up a feminist book. It's all (laughs) that. (laughs) <laughs> um, but going back to to fiction, like, you know, in this particular instance, like, it's okay that Amy is not realistically experiencing the fallout from the trauma of being a rat because that's not why she's in the fiction. She's there as a support tool for Willow, which also I don't particularly care for. I think every character should be there on their own for reasons of their own. But, you know, mm-hmm. that's not how they're using her, so fine. Um, but one of the most pedestrian complaints about fiction is, you know, that it's, quote, quote unquote, not realistic. And one thing is that it's a really easy nitpick because fiction isn't supposed to be realistic. So it's not going to be realistic. So get the fuck over it. But it's also an irrelevant nit, you know, like, and I'm just as guilty as anyone with this as anyone else. Because anybody who's listened to me on Still Dead knows that I'm always like, where in the world does Angel get the money to upkeep a hotel? Because that stuff just drives me nuts. Like it's just these things that like the the lack of any kind of reality kind of breaks through the fiction for me sometimes. But at the same time, it's not it's not a useful criticism. It's not an interesting criticism. Um, but a woman with no access to hair or makeup suddenly appearing magically perfect as a result of a magic spell is fine. Whatever it annoys me, but whatever it's not Amy's story. Um, but it is a solid opportunity to talk about the relationship between reality and fiction, and that. You Usually that's not realistic is not an interesting criticism. Yeah. Except sometimes when you're talking about Michelle Pfeiffer.
1: (laughs) Well, Michelle Pfeiffer, I mean, Michelle Pfeiffer is both a real person and also just not realistic, like full stop as a person. Yes. So that's
0: fine. (laughs) Well, yeah, because women in Hollywood are not allowed to be real. Yeah. You know, watch some dark people. It will fucking open your (laughs) eyes.
1: It was crazy. But just I mean, just to piggyback on the like that's not realistic complaint, like I am also mm-hmm. super guilty of this. What I do oh, I do it all the What time. I do find to mm-hmm. be an interesting, maybe not criticism, but a discussion point and something that I'm always interested to hear from other people yeah. is what is it that pulls you out of this narrative? Yes. Like what is the yes. thing for you? Mm-hmm. Because Because it's often really funny. Like people will sort of show what what it is that they are super nerdy about because they'll be like, Mm -hmm. oh, I was totally in your, you know, magical fantasy world until this person said this. And then I was like, oh, no, that's not how trees work or whatever. And then like suddenly
0: (laughs) what's powering that kick? Raw enthusiasm. Right. We have that from Buffy. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yes. So so certain areas of expertise will absolutely kick you out of a narrative. And that does happen. I think it's fair to acknowledge where you get kicked out of a narrative, you know.
1: And it's, I mean, and it's fun to talk about it. And actually, perfect uh, yes. segue. What does it say about me that Dawn's shake, mm-hmm. that Tara claims is a lot of shake, uh, just looks shake-sized? <laughs> it's
0: like, just like a... I don't think it's like a regular, I think it's the fact that everything in America is huge. Yeah, no, it looks like a huge milkshake to me, but it's yeah. If you're going to have a milkshake, like if you're not having one every day, if you're going to have a milkshake on the rare occasion when you have a milkshake, just fucking have a milkshake. It doesn't even look like like that big of a
1: milkshake. Whatever. It's fine. It's fine. (laughs) It's pretty big (laughs) to me. But what I love, okay, but what I love about Uh that, that whole thing Mm -hmm. is that Tara. Is still like momming Dawn. Yeah. Oh it's very sweet. Yeah. The like promise me you'll eat yeah. something green, leafy green, not gummy green. Like, so mm-hmm. cute. And also, oh my god, how yeah. have I not talked about Tara and food yet? Characters and food yeah. is my favorite thing. Um, mm-hmm. how have I not done this? I'm clearly not doing my job yeah. because mm-hmm. Terra and food are almost is linked to spike in food one of the biggest things for Tara post glory is being fed Mm -hmm. we see a couple of people we see Willow feed her and we see Mm -hmm. I think does Anya help feed her or is it just implied that Anya's gonna help feed her there's I think it's implied there's something about that but like that is Uh, a big it's a big visual um uh Mm -hmm. what am I trying to say here it's a big visual leitmotif in her post-glory, you yeah. know, mental state that she needs to yeah. be fed. Mm-hmm. And then when Willow mm-hmm. and Tara are playing house, Tara's feeding everyone pancakes, which will come back next episode yeah. in a heartbreaking little mini beat that just yeah. smashes my heart wide open. But it's fine. Um <laughs> Tara is the first one to accept Buffy's post angel visit offer of fried chicken when they've had, they've all had Mm -hmm. dinner and Buffy's like, oh, okay. And then Tara's like, well, I for one would love a piece of chicken. And it's like, oh, the communion of takeout. And like Tara is all about, you know, like the food and Mm -hmm. caring for people. It's very, very sweet. And I just, I don't know. I just love it. I love it. I love it tweet me more examples of tara and food please
0: (laughs) (laughs) yes get somebody feeding tara though like the only time tara gets fed is when she is in the post glory you know um um circumstance but tara feeding others tara providing the nurturing Mm -hmm. um i am not at all surprised to see that happening quite a bit quite a bit in the in the show um but this whole interaction with Don and Tara, which is heartbreaking to me, because it has that, you know, it very much has this divorced dad kind of, you know, you know, I'll always be there for you. You know, this isn't about you. You didn't do anything wrong. Mom and I just couldn't make it work. You know, all of that kind of stuff, um, I think is is really interesting. And also there's this moment, too, where Don is telling Tara Right, that Willow's been really good about vaguely stuff. Mm-hmm. Right, you know, we don't talk specifically what it is, we talk around yeah. it. And at that point, you know, t- Dawn seems to be um, kind of shifty about it. You know, and I don't know if it's just that she's like really hoping that Tara comes back and that she thinks that Willow hasn't been, you know, doing magic or if she doesn't know about Amy being deratted at that point or like what's going on. I don't know if she's lying and just to get Tara to come back or if she, she doesn't know, but, um, but it's kind of a, like, it's kind of an interesting, sweet and really sad moment where Dawn's like, well, it's been really good yeah. about stuff, you know, which is oh, it's such a heartbreaking kid moment. Yeah. You know? Well, and that's another one
1: of those. Well, like how long has it been since our last episode Yeah. kind of feels mm-hmm. for me like it, cause it feels like a while. Yeah, and I think maybe the Willow is is being really careful about stuff. Just means that Dawn hasn't seen her do anything really over it because we know that Willow is just, you know, doing whatever. And I'm pretty sure Dawn doesn't Mm -hmm. know about Amy at this point. It feels like maybe she. I don't know.
0: Maybe she would. I mean, it's the next day. If Amy's sleeping on the couch, I mean, Dawn's a kid. Maybe she didn't notice. But yeah, I don't know. It seems it seems but also like Willow may not Dawn may not know that Amy is not just a rat. And when there's an Amy person, she may just not make the connection. You know, I mean, there's a million things like they don't tell Don. Dawn. Dawn does get a lot of uh, protect protection bubble around her, mm. you know, where there's stuff that she just doesn't know. Um, but uh, but I love this interaction, though, with Don and Tara. And I think it's just so incredibly sweet. Um, and heartbreaking and sad. And then when, when Dawn and Tara go home and Tara's so uncomfortable, but Dawn is like, I'm here by myself and she snuggles up on her shoulder to watch television. It's just oh it's God, it's so heartbreaking. I mean, cute. Dawn's already lost one mom and to lose another one I is so know. hard.
1: Oh God, it's you know. so painful. And they're having mm-hmm. they have a great little what feels very like age appropriate relationship talk. When Mm -hmm. Dawn is like basically asking for clarity about the, the future of Willow and Tara Mm -hmm. and is like, basically like, yeah, just to confirm, like you still love her, right? Like this is not, you know, it was just so heartbreaking and Tara, you know, kind of gently explaining like, you know, she says very much. And then she kind of, Mm -hmm. you know, really concisely is like, this is what's, this is what's going on. And it's, Oh, it's especially heartbreaking because, of course, Dawn has always been really interested in Willow and Tara. Like from from Dawn's first appearance, she's interested in
0: Willow and Tara. I mean, and Dawn and Tara. Like, I mean, the outside playing, you know, thumb wrestling, you know, when when Dawn gets sent outside because she's not supposed to be in the magic shop with the dead body, who goes out and thumb wrestles Mm -hmm. with her? It's Tara. And, you know, like there is a a deep closeness between Tara and Dawn.
1: And Willow wanting to share magic with Dawn, whether or not that's a great decision, Mm -hmm. uh, questionable. But like they clearly this dynamic is clearly Mm -hmm. a strong relationship that is beneficial to all of the parties. So Dawn having to grapple with her her mom's splitting up. Is a big deal. Like there's a lot of emotional weight yeah. on. There's a lot of emotional weight on scenes that are themselves very small.
0: There's kind of not a yes. lot of there yeah. there. Um, we don't do a whole lot with it. We're basically just setting up so that Tara's there when Willow and Amy get back from their magical night uh, right. the next morning. You know, we're setting yeah. up that conflict in this in this episode. So we're not doing a whole lot with it. But it is it is an incredibly heartbreaking um, You know heartbreaking couple of scenes and sweet and you know sad and just it's just it's really nice it's nicely done there there are very quiet scenes in an episode that is otherwise very loud yeah you know there's a lot of loud moments in smashed that can take this dawn and terra uh you know a dynamic and kind of push it into the background uh, but it is really emotionally powerful and i think that it's 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 really really good um what's not good with, uh, you know yeah. is like the trio oh my god whatever.
1: <laughs> warren showed up in the previously on and i was so annoyed uh-huh. i was like oh no
0: oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, these no, guys again. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It's like uh, this again. Jesus, you know, um, we had some time without these guys, and I really was fine with that. You yeah. know, um, I, you know, and they're here. Like I like the Boba Fett thing just more because of the, the character moment for Spike yes. necessarily than yeah. the really stupid fucking nerd jokes. Which, oh my God, the thing that I hate about nerd jokes, right, is that they work from the outside in you know Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. because they're about these external qualities of these people rather than being like internal about who they are as people a good humor comes from character you know like when you've got spike and tabula rasa we kissed with the rising music and the rising music what was that buffy like that's a funny moment. All of Tabula Rasa, like their humor in Tabula Rasa is based in character. And we get to explore that humor when we see these characters out of their own context because they don't know who they are. That makes that work really, really well. But these, like the humor with the nerds is just, (laughs) they're nerds. They care about who the best James Bond was, you know? And they're kind of
1: weak. Like like when the whole joke is... These guys are kind of not super manly. I mean, we've talked about yeah. this too, but it's like, yeah, oh, uh, like really? Come on! I mean, there's one, there's one exchange that I find mm-hmm. really adorable, and it's between yeah. Andrew and Jonathan when Warren is using the blowtorch or whatever, and mm-hmm. Jonathan or Andrew asks why Warren always gets <laughs> to use the cool things, and Jonathan says. Because I'm allergic to methane and you're still afraid of hot things, which is yes. <laughs> so cute. But then they completely it ruin really it mm-hmm. with the line that follows yeah. it, which is besides the tank kept making both of us tip over. Remember, which exactly. is not as good a joke. Just leave exactly. it at. You've got
0: the inside out joke and yeah. then you've got the outside in joke and the inside joke works better.
1: Allergic to methane and still afraid of hot things is vulnerable yes. and adorable
0: yes, in a and really pleasant unexpected
1: character. way but like these guys are small and a big tank would knock them over like it's not no if Warren's not no. that much bigger
0: than them it's you not know, it's not i mean you know yeah so all of it like honestly andrew glides by on the charm of tom Lank. you know like tom Lank. i think um and you know danny so strong good. we get a lot of charm from danny strong as jonathan jonathan You know, I've always had and most of my watches, I've always had such a soft spot for Jonathan. I've always really enjoyed him and liked him. And again, it's coasting on on the love goggles because Jesus Christ, what he did in Superstar was terrible. And we see that Jonathan is weak in exactly the way that is, you know, examined in this season uh, throughout all of his his run. And, you know, I peed in the pool like I mean, he was just a kid then, but still, you know. Um, there's just stuff about Jonathan. Jonathan is not a great guy, but Donny Danny Strong has such incredible charm. Tom Lank has such incredible charm. And, um, Adam Bush as Warren is really, really good as Warren. Um, it's definitely not charming, but it's a very good and accurate, you know, uh, representation of, of 4chan, you know, um, mm-hmm. the, the type of dude that Warren is, mm-hmm. you know? Um, but you get these three and the best you can do with the jokes is comic books, Star Wars, Boba Fett. You know, it's humor that punches down and that generates from the external rather than the internal. Um, You know, so like, I just like everything pretty much with the exception of like the, the joke that you pointed out which I thought was really cute um, is just irritating with these guys and I get they got to be there because they got to like examine Spike's chip and like whatever and of course they're stealing the diamond that is going to play a role later in Gone although we really don't need to set that up uh, but in the end like who cares you know Spike could have known that his chip was working fine when he tried to kill the girl and he couldn't he could have made the you know he could have left that girl in the alley saying nothing wrong with me something wrong with her and- And you could have left the trio right out of it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. They're just. They're such a bummer. I'm so tired of that bummer.
0: (laughs) Already. And we're only on episode nine. (laughs) I know. Uh, How? (laughs) How,
1: how Let's finish up by
0: talking about. I know. Let's finish up by talking about something delightful. Let's talk about Anya. Okay.
1: Okay. We don't get very much Anya in this episode, but the Anya that we get. Is so good. Is so good. I love, I, and also. There's this line that she has that's a little bit eerie. She's talking about, they're talking about the diamond and like what its deal is. And she says, maybe it's cursed. Diamonds are excellent for cursing, says the woman with a diamond engagement ring on her finger at the moment. Hello.
0: Very interesting. I did not pick that up, but you are so right. Yes. So good. So good. Mm -hmm.
1: But I love, I absolutely adore Anya being the one who, is totally fed up with everyone's bullshit and it's just like over crying out loud and then says (laughs) the thing that everyone is worried Uh
0: about with Willow. Yeah, yeah.
1: And it's great. Like, I just, I love Uh her. I love how observant she is. And then, of course, she turns to Xander and goes... Is this that thing that I do
0: that you were commenting, and he just? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. And I'm like, oh. and he gives her that look of of shaming her yeah. when in reality, is this the thing that I do, being the only person who's brave enough to actually speak about what's going yeah. on here? Uh, yeah, it's fucking kick ass, Anya, and that should be a reason why he loves you, not why he shames you. And oh my god, when is Hell's bells right? happening? And
1: her whole little rap um, on responsible people, where she's talking yeah. about you know she's talking to Buffy about here's why we should be worried about Willow when Buffy's like yeah. Willow's responsible she won't do anything bad and yeah. Anya's like um actually yeah <laughs> and of course let's go back to old faithful right. yeah right yeah, <laughs> you know old in doppelganger right <laughs> <laughs> right or <her laughs> old yellow
0: reliable like oh rely come on guys yeah. like we
1: know we know what <laughs> happened here
0: exactly Uh, uh, willow's got a bad girl side she's gonna eat that banana even though it's not lunch thank
1: you very much yeah Mm -hmm. it's the gullet for you (laughs) mister
0: (laughs) oh my god now i want to watch doppelganger land again
1: right (laughs) oh that would be fun. let's do that again so
0: um we just we'll
1: just go back and do doppelganger land instead of talking about the trio how about that
0: exactly every time we want to talk about the trio let's just talk about willow and vamp willow out there you go <laughs> and then anya has anya has probably the
1: most um timeless and eternal line of this episode which is optimism i remember optimism <laughs> <laughs> oh my god
0: i'm like same anya same <laughs> same same baby Aww. Same. Yes, yep. I remember hope. I I had a little bit of that recently. Yes. I had that that feeling uh-huh. in my in my chest that was like, and I was like, what is this? I know I felt this before, but it's so unfamiliar. And I was like, oh, that would be hope. Uh-huh. Yes. Uh-huh. So yeah, interesting. For a
1: split second there.
0: <laughs> For a split second there. She's
1: always she's always great.
0: All right. So Noel, I see in the script here that we have a girl power moment of the week. I just jotted down
1: this quick little thing because I was like. Hell uh-huh. yeah! yeah. D-ratted Amy with the whole plate of cookies. Just yeah. sitting there watching TV yeah. with her whole plate Absolutely. of cookies, and we know mm-hmm. we know from from which that Amy has a a tricky history with food. So I'm happy yes. to see her chocolatey
0: baked goods. I'm, yeah.
1: I'm happy to see her enjoying her her post-rat mm-hmm. plate of cookies. It's just it yeah brings me joy and also oh my god food on this show if i had to do okay if i had to write a master's yeah. thesis tonight like if somebody was like mm-hmm. okay time and money are not an issue master's degree go i'll be like uh okay mm-hmm. food on buffy the vampire slayer <laughs> like, that's what i'm gonna do i don't know yes yes yeah, yes very absolutely. cultural studies but I just
0: absolutely I just
1: love I love it I love seeing I love seeing a woman enjoy a plate of baked goods all by herself with the tv that is my idea
0: (laughs) my idea of a
1: good night in yeah
0: it is a good night in it is absolutely a good night in so what's your favorite part of smash so
1: it's a tie between Mm
0: -hmm. Elizabeth
1: Ann Allen just
0: killing it
1: with the whole Mm -hmm. just got back from being a rat Thing. like mm-hmm. everything is great. Yes. I know she's only kind of a character, but the performance yeah. just does it for mm-hmm. me.
0: Mm-hmm. So, yeah, she's amazing. She, I love her. That performance is fantastic. Yeah,
1: she is great. Um, mm-hmm. And my other favorite part is Spike calling Buffy at the magic box on the phone. Oh. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and what I love
1: <laughs> so Friggin' much is that he mm-hmm. is trying to be all ominous and, he, mm-hmm. and she just keeps going, Spike, Spike, <laughs> and finally he goes, Bloody hell, yes, it's me. And when he says that the ominous music just cuts out oh, of the soundtrack. Oh my
0: god. It's, it's so cute. So funny. So funny it is, but I mean, of course, it's him. Who is gonna call and be like "slayer" in a yeah. sexy British accent? Like, I mean, like, did he think that what he does was? He think he's doing? Yeah. Who get it yeah. together, Spike? Like, like, I know a, a little a little self awareness, Spike goes a long fucking way. Oh my God.
1: But it's hysterical and it's so Spike. Yeah. It's the Spike that I love the best. The Spike who's yeah. like, yes. I'm out of here and then falls into an open grave. That's my exactly.
0: favorite Spike. That is that is definitely my favorite flavor of Spike. Well, my second Your second favorite, favorite flavor, flavor of, Spike. of Spike. Lonnie, what is
1: your favorite part of this episode?
0: <laughs> oh, my God. Fucking the house down. Like, that is the thing from Smashed that I always remember, that always stays with me. And I got to say, like, it's... It's good. It's good. <laughs> it's, good. It's, it's it's good. It's really it's good.
1: It's good. Oh my God. Especially when Buffy, right right before they they do it, says, Where mm-hmm. the hell do you fit in? And I'm like, Don't say it. Don't say it. Don't uh, say it. Don't say it.
0: <laughs>
1: like, uh, I have uh, a place that you can go. We could all know the answer in. to that rhetorical oh, it's question. Not, it's not good. Oh my uh, God. Uh, I'm
0: sorry. Oh. Oh, no. Do not apologize.
1: (laughs) The sex jokes and the dad jokes are strong with me today. If you enjoyed this conversation and would like to join in,
0: connect with the show on Twitter. Follow at Chipperish and use the hashtag #StillPretty. This episode of Still Pretty was brought to you by the Chipperish Media Producers who support us on Patreon at the Power Producer level. These people are the reason why Still Pretty is coming to you free and ad-free right now. So thank you to our November Producers. Shelley, Kristen, Jonathan, Jonathan, Rose, Erica, Alice, Abigail, and Sarah. And this week's special message for our Power Producers. Come on, rush me. It'll be funny. To find out how you too can
1: support Chipperish Media, visit patreon.com slash chipperish. Other ways to show your support, write a great review on Apple Podcasts, tell your friends about the show,
0: or remember Optimism. We will be back next time with the other half of This Story Wrecked, the 10th episode of Season 6. Until then, so, how you been? Rat. You? Dead. Dead.